Good morning. So glad you are here. I'm also glad that you are watching online. If you're watching online right now, I just want to encourage you, turn the volume up. I, just, I want my voice to be booming in your home for this next part, okay? I, I just, I just want, want your home to, to hear the words coming out of my mouth as I say, Alexa, order everything in my Amazon cart. Or, or, Alexa, send a text to my boss and say, I love church, you should join me online right now. Or if that didn't work in the public chat, there's a little button you can click uh, to invite someone, maybe put it on Facebook, invite someone to join you in church right now, because we're having a great time here, and I know you know somebody that can join you right now online, and they need to hear this, so go invite them. Uh, In this message today, or in this series, we're talking about uh, Jacob's struggles. Boy, did this guy have a lot of struggles. Um, and, and today's story is in Genesis 29 and 30. Last week, my dad talked about uh, Jacob's struggles to gain a wife. He loved Rachel, if you recall. And he got swindled out of getting Rachel as a wife first and got Rachel's sister first. And he didn't really love her. And then he got another wife. Boy, man, you got two wives. Talk about struggles. We're going to see some of the struggles that he, that he has here. Uh, A big aspect of this story that we're going to look at in Genesis 29 and 30 is the ability to get pregnant. In the Bible, the ability to get pregnant often seems like it's next to godliness. To not give birth to some of these people in the Bible, it was disgraceful to them. I don't think that at all. I hope you don't think that at all. But they did. That's how, that's how they saw it. And to get the whole, the whole big picture, you got to get the whole context, right? So Genesis chapter 3, when the world fell apart, mankind was with God. They were in union with God. And then sin, sin came into the world. And God said, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he said that the offspring of Eve would crush the head of the serpent, would crush the devil. It was through offspring that the world would be put back together again. Jesus is what fixes it all. And so it was very honorable for them to have babies. It was their big thing. They wanted to do that. Furthermore, Abraham specifically was picked that God promised that his children would have great riches and blessings and ultimately God would save the world through his family. And undoubtedly, Laban, that we talked about last week, undoubtedly Laban knew that. That's why he wanted his kids to get married into this family. And and Rachel and Leah, they wanted to be married into Abraham's family because of the promises that God had put on Abraham's family. So they wanted to get married not just to have a husband, to give birth. That's why they wanted to do this. Every Hebrew woman wanted to have lots of babies because they wanted to be a part of the promise. The whole start of the Hebrews happens, happens here. It comes from the nation of Israel which before he was called Israel, he was called Jacob, who we're talking about. And he had 12 sons who, 12, 12, 12 sons. I know math. He had 12 sons who became representatives of the 12 nations of Israel. They were the, the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12, and we're going to talk about those 12 sons today. Uh, and boy, did he have some struggles. Uh, that my, my little subtitle for this message today is... Struggling sisters, because not only did he marry two wives, he married sisters. 
And you're about to see the struggles that this guy went through. Uh, and his wives went through. So Genesis uh, chapter 29, verse 31. I'll just give you the first point. God loves to work through an underdog like you. God loves to work through an underdog like you. I get this from Genesis 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, I'm always so confused how Leah is married to Jacob because I always thought Leah married Hans. Star Wars joke, sorry. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel, who Jacob loved, remained childless. So out of, out of the two wives of Jacob, it seems that Leah is the underdog. By no human understanding does she stand much of a chance of having babies. Her husband doesn't even love her. God loves to work through an underdog. And she gave birth. See, uh, the, the, point, the point here really is God loves to work through the underdog. And, and, and I see this in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. If I was God and I, had, if I, and I needed the treasure of the gospel to go across the whole world, I wouldn't put it in a clay pot. All you got to do is drop it and it cracks. You know, I thought about getting a clay pot and doing a demonstration, but I decided the baby stuff was enough. If I was God and I wanted the gospel message, the treasure of the gospel to propagate, it deserves the best of everything. It deserves, I don't know, the, the very best movie, the very best magazine, the very the be- best media that we could possibly think of. The gospel is worthy of that, so everyone can know about it. And certainly God had the power way back then to, like he could have invented the internet in Abraham's days, he could have. But he didn't. He, he chose to use people like us. He chose to work through underdogs like us. He does it over and over again. I got some examples. David. King David, ever heard of him? King David was the smallest of his brothers. When, when God told Samuel, I have a new king, go to Jesse's family. Jesse said, oh, hey, look, here's all my sons. And Samuel's like, oh, it's got to be the big guy. It's got to be, look, oh, he's a strapping young man. This has to be him. And God says, nope, nope, there's more. And he goes through all of them. It turns out Jesse left out the one, left him out in the field because he didn't think he could be king. David, just a little guy, what an underdog. That underdog David later had faith in God and grabbed a sling and took down the, the giant. The apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, he was the greatest pain in the rear that Christians, that the first Christians ever knew. He was a murderer of Christians, a very unlikely candidate to be the greatest missionary the world has ever known. But that's exactly what he was. God works through an underdog. Lazarus is another example. He was um, dead. (laughs) But God God wanted to do something with that. Jonah, the prophet Jonah, he was, Jonah was, was a disobedient, rebellious scoundrel. And he was a disobedient, rebellious scoundrel in the name of the Lord. 
Like, I'm going to do this for Jesus. And he disobeyed in the name of God. But God still had a great plan for Jonah. In this whole story that we've been talking about in this series of Jacob's struggles, we see that Jacob's life was a real mess. He was a swindler. He deceived. He was, he was quite a mess, and he had plenty of problems, but God still wanted to work through Jacob. And today, we consider him the father of the faith. And you may be an underdog, weak, small in faith, low character when nobody's looking. You may be from a nobody family, from a nowhere town, with a past that you're ashamed of. God loves to work through the underdog. I hope we, we don't, like, like when, when we understand that we're an underdog, like, like that's a hard pill to swallow. I, I, you know what? But when we understand that we are an underdog, we are a clay pot chosen to carry the glory of the gospel. We can be useful in the kingdom. If we think we're a steel vault, we can't be that useful. Because see, nothing can get through a steel vault. But a cracked pot can shine light. Turn to the person next to you and say, I think he's talking about you, you crackpot. <laughs> Praise the Lord for the crackpot, because God loves to work through the underdog. Here's number two, the second thing we learned from this story in Genesis 29 and 30. God may want to change your attitude, not your situation. God may want to change your attitude, not your situation. In Genesis 29, verses 32 through 35, Leah, the wife that Jacob didn't love so much, Leah had four children. And the names she gave them had great significance to her. And and the names that she gave them, their meaning, and what they meant to her, like what she said along with it, that was all preserved so that we can learn something from it. The names, I think, go on to mean something greater for Israel's future. We see it throughout the history of Israel. But at the moment, when these babies came out, she said something, and she gave them a name based upon the situation that was happening to her right now. The names meant something to her. And today I'm going to tell you what I believe. It seems like the scripture seems to be saying these names meant to her. So she, she had four kids, right? She had four kids, and I've actually got the 12 tribes of Israel right here. Um, she had four kids. The, the first one was not a girl, but I have one, and that's why some of these are girls. But, uh, so just here, there. She, well, I'm, I'm, I'm get out the, let me get out three. Let me get out three, because the first three kind of came together. We got the three babies here. Did you hear that? They're real. The first three babies came out, and she named them. She named them Reuben. See, Jacob, I had a son. You can love me now. And then she named the second one Simeon, which meant I'm not loved by Jacob, but God heard me and gave me a son anyway. And and the the third son she named Levi. Now that I have a third kid... Jacob's going to feel attached to me. All three of the first three kids, the first three kids that came out of Leah, 
she gave names connected to. See, there's a reason I use the loud one first because that's annoying. She's still she's still making sounds. Uh, I got to put it in here. The, the first three babies were connected to her relationship with her husband. I'm not loved by him. She had a baby. My husband doesn't love me. She had a baby. Maybe he's going to love me. Maybe he's going to love me. And that was the identity of the child. So her attitude was, my husband doesn't love me. And she named her kids about that. The names of her kids had something to do with, my husband doesn't love me. He doesn't feel attached to me. But God wanted to change her attitude, not her situation. See, the fourth kid came along. We see a progression with the fourth kid. Um, who was a Cubs fan, her fourth kid came out, and she named him Judah. This time I'm going to praise God. Forget my husband. This, I mean, I mean, don't forget him, but I'm not going to name my kid after my, about what's happening here with Jacob. I'm just going to praise God. I'm just going to praise God. God didn't want to change her situation. God wanted to change her attitude. In the names Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, we see a progression in the life of Leah. The birth of her kids was all about a struggle until Judah came. It took about three bouts of that struggle before she gave it over to God. God may want to change your attitude rather than your situation. Have you ever thought about that? In Jeremiah 29, we see this again. Israel had been taken into Babylonian exile. They've been taken captive. And every prophet in Israel, except one, every prophet said, this is going to be short. God's going to take us right out of Babylon. This is only, don't don't worry, guys. I know you're going to be exiled in Babylon, but this is just a little bit of time, a little bit of time. Every prophet said that, except one guy. His name's Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 29, he said, no, 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 it's not going to be a long time. He says, build houses there, settle down, plant gardens and eat whatever they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city, Babylon, to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, not, not a couple weeks. Not a month, a generation. When 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It seems like... All Israel should be crying out, Lord, deliver us from Babylon. Deliver us from this terrible place that we're in. And the word from God was, oh, I I will in 70 years. I will in 70 years. Hold out. Hold out. Prosper in the place where I put you. Because if it prospers, pray for the place I put you. Because if it does well, you're going to do well. Settle down. That's where I put you. I put you there on purpose. Don't spend time saying, change that, God, without first doing this. Change this, God. 
Change this, God? Don't even start saying change this without saying change this. Do you want to change this? Start here. Do you want to change this, God? How many times do you struggle before giving your problems over to the Lord? How, how long do you hang on to the plea, deliver me from this promise, or f- from the problem, deliver me from the problem, when you should be pr- praying, Lord, help me learn what you're trying to teach me? Those of you that have, I, I think the, the older that you are, some of you are older than me, and you would, I think, agree with me. I, I, I'm just learning that the times that the Lord has taught me the most is when I wasn't looking to be taught. As I look back, oh, I see it. I have a friend that he just couldn't, he was a Christian, and he was in a, in a factory that uh, had a lot of non-Christians in it. And he heard a lot of words he didn't hear. He, he didn't want to hear. He heard a lot of conversations he didn't want to be a part of. And people were coming to him with all, his, all of their problems. Yeah. And he came to me and he said, I can't wait to get out of there. I just can't take it. There's so much. They're all sinners there. Why would God put me in a place like this? Why do you think God put you in a place like that? It sounds like, like you're doing the right thing. Clearly you're, you're living right in a place that's not. And they're all coming to you. Why do you think they're coming to you? Lord, why won't you get, up, get me out of this evil place? God put you in the evil place. We are here on purpose for a purpose. We are blessed to be a blessing. God wants you where he put you. I know because you're there. You're called at your job. Tomorrow, Monday morning, when you go to your job or to your school, you are called there on Monday morning. That's where you're supposed to be. And you're called there. I know you're called there because you're there and where you are is where you're called. Because you're always called. Calling doesn't, doesn't lift. If, if you're a Christian, you're called to represent God wherever you go. Here's number three. The third thing we learn from this story in Genesis 29 and 30. Cancel your curse. Plant your blessing. Cancel your curse. Plant your blessing. Here's what I mean by that. The, the seeds we plant today will grow. It's pretty pretty simple idea. It's hard to do, but it's a pretty simple idea. The seeds we plant today, they'll grow. The things you feed get nourished. And for better or worse, the words and actions you invest in people now grow. For better or worse, whatever you invest in other people grows. In Genesis 30, verses 3 through 8, we see that Rachel then, see, Le- Leah had four babies. Rachel was jealous, and the Lord had not allowed her to conceive. She wanted to have offspring, and she couldn't figure out a way to do it. So she decided to get creative, just like her mother-in-law. And Rachel, through her servant, had two kids. That, to her, had very specific names. Let's see what these two kids looked like. Oh, fuzzy hair. And... Um, Ballerina, okay. They were guys, but I'm using the tools I have available to me. This is what I had. 
my daughter's room. She had Rachel through her servant, right? So Rachel did not conceive, but she grabbed her servant and said, here, you, you, go, you go conceive for me. And then Rachel named those two babies that came out of her servant, she named them, ha-ha, take that, Leah. God has vindicated me, Dan. And she named the other one Naphtali. Celia, we had a fight, and I won. She is having quite a struggle with her sister. God has vindicated me, and I won. That's what she named him. What a fight of siblings, just like Jacob and Esau. Do you see that there was a curse that was passed down? She didn't cancel the curse, she, she planted the curse. We need to cancel the curse, plant the blessing. Do you see that she did just what her mother-in-law did? Instead of praying to God, she just made it happen on her own. She planted her curse. A little bit after that in verses 9 through 20, Leah realized that she wasn't having kids anymore. So Leah was not going to be upped by her sister who just taunted her with the two kids that were named, uh, what were they named? Uh, God vindicated me and I won, take that. Leah needed to have more kids. She wasn't going to be upped by her sister. And so Leah went out and had two more kids through the same tactic that Rachel used. Leah was no longer having babies, so she said, here, here, here's my servant. You, you go have babies for me. And two more kids came out of those servants, and, and they were named... God's rewarding me, Issachar, and this baby is a gift. Certainly my husband will honor me now, Zebulun. Mm -hmm. She went back, you saw it. Leah's first three kids were connected to the pain that she was having with her husband. And then she said, this time I'm just going to praise God on the fourth kid. And then she goes back, this baby is a gift. Certainly my husband will honor me now. She went back. She planted her curse. Leah represents, or I'm sorry, Leah repeats her previous self-deception that these babies are about her relationship with her husband or sister, believing that being loved was an achievement-based thing, which stirred up continual grief. There's the curse that was repeated. Cancel your curse, plant your blessing. Turn to the person next to you, type it in the chat. Cancel your, per- your curse, plant your blessing. Tell them. The seeds we plant today will grow, unless we dig them up. The things you feed get nourished, unless you choke it. Do you know if you, if you have a big tree and you want to kill it, all you got to do is choke it. Just, just cut off the, the sap, or the, what's that called? The bark around the end of it. The whole tree dies because it can't get nourished anymore. The negative words or actions you invest in people now come back to you, unless you repent. So let me ask you a few questions. What negative seeds do you need to choke in your life? Yelling or speaking rudely at a spouse? If that's you, and you yell or speak rudely to your spouse... Just internally, just think for a moment. Did you ever see someone else do that? 
Did you have a dad or a mom that did that? Could be you need to cancel the curse. Maybe you need to choke out the bad attitudes towards someone at school or work. Maybe you need to choke out the bad attitude in a political situation. Oh, you can disagree, but don't let it lose your peace. Faith is in Jesus. That's the firm foundation. Do you have a bad attitude towards an unjust situation? How silly is it that we can lose our peace over inanimate objects? It's just a situation. If, if that's you, if you have a bad attitude about, about a situation, ask yourself, had you, have you had a parent or mentor that behaved that way sometimes? Bad attitudes can be planted and passed down. You might need to cancel the curse and plant blessings. Do you want to be that person for people after you? Or do you want to be the person who cancels the, the curse? I want to be the person that cancels the curse and plants the blessing. Things happened before me, but it's not going to happen after me. Don't nourish the bad attitude. Every time you feel that way, oh, that thing makes me so frustrated. That guy, that guy, he's such a jerk. Do you know how big of a jerk that guy is? Every time I feel that way, I I need to use it as a little flag in my mind. It reminds me to invite the Holy Spirit. Hey, God, I need you. I need you in this. Help me plant blessings. All right, here's the fourth thing we learn in this story. Number four, look to the miracle baby. Time out. I have too many babies. Did I not pull some out? Whatever. There's 12, and I might, not, I might have said some without pulling them out. Whatever. I'll get it right next service. Look to the miracle baby. At this point in the story, Rachel... The, the sister, the wife that is loved, she becomes the underdog. Because this whole story, oh, wait, yeah, 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 there was two more. There's two more. I remember what they were. Leah herself had two more. There we go. And there's Rachel, still not actually conceived herself. The only children that she brought forth in this family was by way of her servant. Apparently she couldn't have kids. But in Genesis chapter 30, verse 22 through 24, it says this, Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. Everybody say, yay. God worked through the underdog. Rachel became the underdog. Verse 23, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. So here's, here's Joseph. And she had a baby. Out came the baby. And she said, I hope I have another one. Which I find a little bit humorous. Like, I hope, I hope, like that's what she named the kid. I hope I have another one. May the Lord add me another son. Miracle baby. This whole marriage, unable to have a kid. But the miracle baby comes out, Joseph. And in chapter 35, much later, 
Rachel had another miracle baby. She conceived and gave birth again. And when that, that, that baby, that childbirth was so hard on her, it killed her. She died in childbirth. So, so the baby came out, and in her dying breath, she named that baby Benoni, which meant, what a struggle. That hurt. <laughs> what a struggle is what she named him. The, 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 the struggle is what she named that baby. And then she died. And, and Jacob apparently learned something through his life, and he picked, he picked up the baby that the mom just named. What a, what a pain. What, what a struggle. What a challenge. Ben-Oni. And he picked up Ben-Oni. What a struggle. And he said, I want to introduce you to Benjamin, son of my right arm. A strong son, a healthy son, an honorable son, Benjamin. He renamed Benjamin. But we have, there was somebody in that room when Rachel gave birth and said, his name is Benoni, my struggle. And she died. Somebody was there, passed that down, and, and we have a record that he was named my struggle. but no one ever knew him as my struggle. See, his father gave him a new name. The father grabbed him and said, oh, okay, strong son, honorable son, Benjamin. And in this story, if we, if we zoom out a little bit bigger in the book of Genesis, we see a pattern, and even the whole Bible, we see a pattern of God doing something great through an unlikely birth. There's a pattern. Abraham's wife, Sarah, couldn't have kids. Then along came Isaac. Isaac's wife, Rebecca, couldn't have kids. Then along came Esau and Jacob. Miracle twins. Jacob's wife, Rachel, couldn't have kids. And then along come Joseph and Benjamin, miracle babies. Would you stand with me? I want to focus on both of these miracle babies, Joseph and Benjamin. The, uh, the miracle baby, Joseph. See, he went on to save and preserve the entire family of Israel. Really, he was the, the savior of the family. The whole family line would have died if it wasn't for Joseph. That miracle baby saved the day. A few thousand years later, a miracle baby saved the day. It's like God was dropping hints even back in Genesis of what his plan was from the very beginning. Jesus existed back in Genesis. He was in heaven. And then Jesus came to the earth. Let me just tell you about Jesus. If you you don't know, I want you to know. Jesus was born. He was a miracle baby. By no human understanding should he have been born. He was born to to a woman that shouldn't have been having, didn't seem possible for her to have a kid. It was a miracle baby. 
Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. And he was God's son. He wasn't just a man, he was God's son. He, he was God. And Jesus lived a perfect life and then he, he died. And you see that the Bible teaches that, that we're separated from God because of our sin, because of our sinful nature that's been passed down to us. And Jesus didn't, he had the opportunity to sin, but, but he didn't. And he lived perfect. And he died paying the price for our sin. And now all we have to do is look to him as the answer and say, Jesus, come, come here. And say, I, I want to look to you as the answer. I want you to save me. And believe in what he did and open our life up to him and we can have a connection with, with God. That's the miracle baby, Jesus. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, I encourage you, make that decision today. In fact, right now in the public chat, there's a spot that's going to come up that says, I want to say yes to Jesus. I would encourage you, if you're watching online, to click on that and to start a conversation with one of our hosts or our pastor who's standing by right now, ready to help you make that decision. But if that's you, I first just want to pray for you. Just, it's very simple. All you need to do is admit that you're a sinner. Can we all in, our, in the room say, I'm a sinner on the count of three? One, two, three. I'm a sinner. Lord, I know that I've sinned. I know that I'm separated from you and my, my life started as separated from you. Then the second thing you need to do is believe that Jesus died and that, and that, that he is what, what he said he was and that's God and that he died for you to pay the price for your sin. If you believe that, on the count of three, I want you to say, I believe. One, two, three. I believe. Lord, I believe that you are the Savior. I believe that you rose from the dead, which conquered death. And that, that makes a way for me to spend an eternity with you and to have a relationship with you. The Bible says the third thing we got to do is, is confess that Jesus is Lord. On the count of three, if you believe that, say, Jesus is Lord. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. Lord, you are king. You are righteous. You are just, and you are in charge. You are Lord. That means you are in charge of my life. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. So I, I believe there's, there's really there's, there's two types of people that, that I was hoping to, to hit today. One was people that needed to encounter Joseph, Jesus the miracle baby, Joseph, the one that saves, and that's Jesus. And the other miracle baby I want to hone in on is Benjamin, who would have gone through his life known for his mom's struggle if it wasn't for his father renaming him. I believe some of us have accepted the Ben-Oni name upon our life. Maybe it wasn't at birth. Maybe it was something said to you when you were 10. Maybe it was something done to you 10 years ago. Why can't you do anything right? What's the matter with you? You're not worthy. Maybe something happened and you just believe that you're, that you're not worthy. God, God can't save someone like you. He can't love you, somebody as dirty as you. Or you're so guilty. You're too ugly. 
See, all those things happen to a lot of us. Those, those are hurtful things that happen to a lot of us, but we don't have to believe it. I believe some of us have accepted the lie and I've listened to it. And we've walked around and someone says, what's your name? And you say, Benoni. My name is pain. We function this way. My name is struggle. My name is not good enough. Maybe you don't say that, but you, you function that way. You live that way. I believe the Lord wants to touch your heart today. Help you realize who you are. The father lifted the curse of Benoni when he lifted the, the boy up and he said, Benjamin, strong son. Let's walk out the identity the father gives us and reject the lie. Reject the lie. And accept the identity that God gives us. A special people, a peculiar people, a loved people. 